This is the Sharpen Podcast, episode number 79. I'm Ashley, the only human behind the curtain of this show. First off, thank you to Rocky Talkies for sponsoring the Sharpen. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. And as you listen into this episode, you'll understand why these radios are such a valuable resource to have in the backcountry. These two hikers could have used a pair of radios, and that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Do you like discounts? Get 10% off your radios with code SHARPEND10 at rockytalkie.com. I recently watched a short film called Free As Can Be. I was blown away by the cinematography, storytelling, and relationship that these two guys built throughout their climbing relationship. Or should I say, relationship? <laughs> Phrase Can Be is a new film by Arcteryx, but a partnership between these two very passionate and talented rock climbers and their attempt to climb the freerider route on El Cap. Mark Houdon dreamed of this since the 1970s, and now, in his 60s, he teams up with a young climbing legend, Jordan Cannon, to make his dream come true. They both arrive with very different goals, and no, I'm not going to tell you how it ends. You'll just have to watch it yourself. As always, thank you to the American Alpine Club for plugging my podcast in their newsletter, The Prescription. Head on over to their website to subscribe. So today, I talk with a guy named Glenn Block. He attempted Oval Peak with his friend Engie. Oval Peak is an 8,800-foot mountain in the North Cascades of Washington State. Glenn has so many learnings from his experience, and he's humble enough in his mountaineering journey to share them with you. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Ashley. Thanks. First, I'm a great fan of your show. Um, I've personally learned a lot, and it's been really great to just kind of keep me on my toes and remind me of uh, just uh, things I need to be aware of when, when I'm out there and that the mountains and the outdoors can be really unforgiving. Um, so every, hello everyone, uh, my name is Glenn Block. Um, by day I'm a technologist, uh, I work in product and uh, most recently I was VP of product for a small startup and uh, in the last Four years, I kind of really started getting into the outdoors, four or five years, first with rock climbing, and then I moved into hiking and mountaineering. Um, and the story I'm going to talk about today is my journey with my partner, NG, to attempt a summit of Oval Peak uh, in May, the end of May 2021. And, and what was the weather doing um, on this particular day? That's a good question. Um, it wasn't snowing. The weather itself was not bad. Um, Oval Peak is just a really long slog uh, to get to the point where you actually climb. And we, we ended up doing it car to car. Um, originally, we were planning to do Star and Courtney. Um, NG was a lot more experienced than me at the time. So this is a great story. And one of the reasons I wanted to tell this story of where I was very new, didn't know my limitations and just jumped way too far out the deep end. But it was cold um, once we got on the mountain. Um, and it was definitely windy as we got higher up. Um, the worst part actually was not about the weather. It was actually blowdowns. 
um, hundreds and hundreds of blowdowns that we had to cross over and it was wet. Um, I had never traveled over blowdowns before and wet blowdowns were a complete nightmare. What's a blowdown? Great question. Um, blowdowns are trees that have been downed. So, you know, there are storms, there are high winds, um, and, you know, sometimes even avalanches that, uh, you know, in the Cascades um, that can cause, uh, you know, cause trees to get downed. And a lot of times, depending on where it happens, those trees may get cleaned later in the season um, to allow, actually at Oval Peak, it turns out if we had been about a month later, there probably would have been no blowdowns because the rangers come and they clean out the trees to allow horseback riding. Uh, but basically, it just means that, you know, the trail is could be covered with trees and you have to do a lot of route finding because you may not even see the trail because it's so covered. Um, and when it's wet, you might be slipping and you can get injured. Uh, it's definitely a lot easier when it's dry. I just recently climbed Ruby Mountain and had about 2,000 feet of blowdowns, but they were all dry. And it was so much easier because traction, it was, you know, you weren't slipping around. Um, still was a pain, but when it's wet, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. I was on a path to summit Baker. So like I got into mountaineering that year, uh, actually at the end of 2020, I got into mountaineering and I made this objective of like, I'm going to climb Mount Baker. And on my path to Baker, I needed to get myself conditioned. I had no shape. I wasn't in any real shape for the mountains. And so I just, you know, started doing more and more things, climbing more and more mountains, uh, attempted Helens, did a, did a bunch of the regular things that we do in the Cascades, like Mailbox, Sai, Mount Washington, et cetera. Um, and then I met a bunch of people along the way who were a lot more seasoned and who were really teaching me. And NG was one of those people that was being really supportive. And I got this, you know, they often talk about in the outdoors, this concept of stoke, where you get really excited and you're like really passionate about, I want to do the next thing. I want to do the next thing. Stoke can get you killed. Um, and so with Oval Peak, like I just really wanted to go do something big and I was overestimating my ability and actually we were originally planning to do Star and Courtney, which also would have been a huge thing. Um, and so, you know, NG and I hooked up and we went out on this thing. I was completely unprepared. Um, Oval was going to be like a 16 or 17 mile hike. If we had done Star and Courtney, it would have been. 20. I didn't have enough food. Um, I was not mentally prepared. I, I didn't have the snow conditions were really hard to travel on. And I didn't have that experience, nor did I have experience with blowdowns. Um, and honestly, almost lost my life on this trip. Uh, and I'm not saying that lightly. I'll talk a bit more about how that happened. So I just really had gotten myself in way too deep and was unable to say, hey, this is out of my league. And that's something I learned a really valuable lesson after on that you need to just, you know, the mountains can be completely unforgiving. And somebody who you're partnering with may not assess you correctly. Um, they may, you know, you may oversell yourself 
Of course, there's a responsibility on a partner to really know the person that you're going with, but on the same token, to kind of step back and be like, hey, this may be actually out of my league and I may be getting myself into trouble. This also involved a river crossing on a, a running river on a, on a tree branch high over the water that I ultimately fell in. Um, so there was just one thing after the next that happened that just proved to me that I had just gotten myself in too deep. Um, so yeah, so what happened? So as I said, I was in too deep. I remember at the very beginning when we first, so when we first started out, uh, we had gone on a hike the day before and it was a very mild one. And then the next day we were trying to figure out, are we, we were at the trailhead, the Buttermilk Creek believe it is, trailhead, and trying to decide, are we going to do Star and Courtney or Oval? And I think NG realized at that point that it was going to be a lot longer than they thought. And so maybe we should just do Oval because uh, Star and Courtney are going to be like 20 miles. But then it became clear that I was completely unprepared when we started to look at like, do we have enough food? I did not have enough food because I was just way in over my head. NG gave me a bunch of food and, and they had some extra. And then we started on the path and Oval is a really long slog just to get to the point where you climb the peak. So the first obstacle was we had to cross over this running, this tree branch, uh, maybe about 15, 20 feet, um, crossing over a running river that is like rapids. And if you fall in, it's not gonna be good. And the rock is, uh, sorry, and the tree that we were crossing on the log, which was maybe a foot wide, maybe a little bit more, was actually wet too. Slippery. I made it slippery, of course. Exactly. Is there, and I've never done this before. Like, is there no other way for us to get across? And NG was like, no, there's no other way. It turns out there actually may have been if we had gone down a quarter of a mile, uh, which which is a different thing to be careful of is like, and I just learned so much on this trip, which is why I wanted to share of, you know, your agendas can really get you into trouble. Like sometimes if you just step back a little bit and slow down a bit, you can actually find um, a safer route to get to where you want to go to. Um, you just have to take the time to just do a little bit of looking. But when you're in that mode where you're trying to just like go and we had just started out and we were all energized, it's hard to sometimes do that um, and you can get yourself into trouble. So I looked at this and I'm like, I don't think I can cross this. And NG's really seasoned doing this stuff. So they were able to just kind of like tightrope across it. Um, uh, NG was like, well, if you want, you can shimmy it. Um, so I did that. I shimmied across. Um, and one thing I didn't know at the time is whenever you're going to be going over like water, you should loosen your pack. So that if you fall in, your pack is not going to weigh you down. So that that's one big lesson. Anytime you're doing like a river crossing, undo the straps on your pack so it's not going to weigh you down if you fall in the water. I didn't fall fortunately going. Um, so we went across and I shimmied across. I made it. Um, just my shoes got slightly wet, but it was fine. Um, and then we started the slog. And then we hit into the blowdowns right away. So it was like an immediate, like, for me, like hitting into a truck. Suddenly we just slowed down so dramatically with these hundreds of blowdowns that we were having to climb over that were wet. Um, I didn't get hurt. I slipped a bit, 
But it was very clear that NG was way more competent and experienced with doing this kind of stuff. So they were having to slow down because of me. Um, and it was just, I think, very clear to them that this is going to be a really long day because Glenn just doesn't have this sort of experience. So after doing that for what literally felt like hours, um, we, 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 it then starts to get really steep before you even get to the climb to the mountain itself. Um, and then we hit the snow and when we hit the snow, so we had snowshoes, um, cause it was a lot of snow and it was good snow for snowshoes. The only problem was I didn't have a lot of experience of doing snowshoeing, especially at steep angles, which turned out to be a big problem when we were coming down. So then that slowed us down. Like I was just moving like really slow and I kept falling, trying to like, you know, go up these steep hills with snowshoes. Um, it, and it wasn't, it definitely wasn't good for my self-esteem. <laughs> Um, and I could tell that NG was just getting really frustrated. Like, I think NG was quickly realizing Glenn does not have the level of experience that I thought Glenn does. And that, you know, now we're, we're going to, we're going to pay for that. Um, so that went on for a while, didn't get hurt or anything. Then we came to the talus fields, the route that NG had chosen had some really big talus and some places in, in like territory where you can't fall, um, so I was taking my time across the talus fields and we had these massive talus fields that we that we had to cross on the route that we went on. But then I was also going slow because not only did I not want to fall, there were places where fall would have been very, very bad. Um, I was also taking it in, you know, taking out my camera, camera doing doing selfies on the on the rocks, um, just trying to like take it in. And I have no idea what's coming and NG does. So I'm just, so I think that was just adding more, more frustration, but I wasn't like injured yet. Um, so finally we get to the mountain like part and after like seven miles of, uh, of hiking, including these massive blowdowns, we start going up um, and we hit this head wall it's probably the steepest headwall I've ever climbed. It's probably like 60 degrees uh, headwall. And at that point, like NG was able to move a lot faster and I was just kind of going really slow. So NG was kind of like looking back and then I don't know if they told me to wait or they just decided to like go up the headwall. So they went up the headwall on their way to try to go and hit the summit of um of, of oval, which is about 8,600 feet, I think. Um, and it, I think it's about a 5,000 if you do the full thing. Maybe it's like a 4,500 gain day. Um, so then I'm sitting there and now I'm feeling bad because I'm like, I don't want it. Like, I want to get something out of this too. So I go to go on the headwall. Now on the headwall, you have to use crampons. Well, I put my crampons on wrong. I'm lucky I didn't like lose it right there because I'm going up this head wall that's a couple of probably, I don't know, 500, 600 feet and, you know, at a pretty steep angle. And I get like toward the top and suddenly one of my crampons falls off. It didn't drop, thankfully, but it was really unsettling. And why? Because I put my crampons on completely wrong. Like I had manual crampons that you have to like, you know, tie the straps around and everything. And I actually hadn't read the manual. 
I mean, it was stupid. That was just a stupid mistake on my part, but one that could have cost me right there. Yeah. Um, I learned later the proper way to thread my crampons is actually really easy. I think I was just like looking at all like the gribbles, they gravels, they have like all these different places you could conceptually put the strap. And I was just running it through and I'm like, oh, that seems tight, but it was it was it was not right. <laughs> um so then I made it to the top of the head wall, thankfully, um, and I didn't get hurt. Um, and then there were these really high boulders and there was snow and there were cornices and there were don't fall areas on the snow where you could fall like thousands of feet down a ridge. And I'm alone because NG has already gone up and is going to try to get, um, get, get oval. And I think NG actually had said when we were on the head wall or when they, when they, before they went up the head wall, I'm going to try to go get oval. And, you know, if we're not, if I'm not up there by a certain time, I'll come back. Um, so anyway, I'm up there on these boulders. Some of them are like class four boulders, very exposed, um, could have fallen, didn't, thankfully. And I just kept climbing. I'm like, well, I'll, I'm, I'm just going to keep going until eventually run into NG. Um, fortunately, nothing happened there either. The problem that happened, though, is it was getting late in the day. So that's why NG had set like a turnaround time. So we had started like 6 a.m. And now it was like 5 o'clock p.m. And NG was just about to summit oval. And I was on my way up. Amazing views and everything. Um, so that was the trip so far. Nothing had been horrible. It had just been slow. Right. Slow and some... Little things had gone wrong, but nothing like major had gone wrong. Nothing major had gone wrong, except for something really major had gotten wrong. We had gotten so slow, there was like the the way back meant we were going to be going back most likely in the dark. And so NG was like, we need, finally we met up. And I remember screaming for NG because I was also like, I'm up here all the way up here. If something happens to NG while they're going up to summit, what am I going to do? Like, I think I had an in-reach then, so that was good. I knew I had an in-reach and I was tracking. That was one good thing that I had done. Um, and then I was like, what if I fall? Like, I'm up here, it's all exposed, it's beautiful, and there's places where I could fall thousands of feet. So that was not a good feeling. It was definitely not a good feeling being alone. Um, and, and finally, when I saw NG after NG summited, I was about 500 feet below the summit, and I saw this dot moving. And I was yelling. I was like, NG, NG. Finally, NG came and we started the path down, um, initially going together. But then what happened and is when we hit the snow that we'd come up with our snowshoes. So we avoided the talus fields, which was good going down. We found a different route. NG was like, there's no way we're going through the talus fields again. We'll go an alternate route. We ended up in a place, though, where it was like 40 degree snowshoeing. And NG was really good at snowshoeing. So they were almost like skiing, like flying down the mountain. I was falling uh, a couple of times, almost fell pretty badly trying to use my snowshoes. I was screaming for NG, like, please, NG, NG, like worried I'm going to be like left alone on the mountain um, or I'm going to get hurt. And it was not fun. Now, I know now in retrospect, what I should have done was just taken off my snowshoes and plunge stepped. 
but I didn't really even know what plunge stepping was then. So I, you know, now I, now hindsight is 2020, I would have done things completely different. Um, so then where it really got bad was Engie kept being like, Engie was in front of me, but staying close enough that I could see them, but they were flying down the mountain and I was struggling and I could tell they were frustrated, like waiting for me to come. Um, it was, it was definitely not fun. Me try, I kept falling with the snowshoes, but then we get to the bottom and Engie's like, well, we need to get out of the forest before it gets dark. We don't want to be stuck in the forest while it's dark. So Engie starts moving and I'm moving behind them. We get into the forest and we get to the blowdowns, but I'm moving too slow and Engie's in front. And before you know it, it's getting dark and we're, and I'm a half a mile probably Engie's probably a half a mile in front because Engie was trying to just move and get out of the forest. I'm stuck in the forest. Um, you know, I don't really can't, I'm having trouble seeing the trail now because it's getting dark. I had my headlamp, fortunately. Um, and then I, before I knew it, I was lost. Like I'm off the trail. It's dark. I have no idea where the hell I am. Then I slipped. I slipped on one of the, uh, I slipped on one of the um, blowdowns, felt a pain in my leg. I thought, okay, and, and I, it, I'm starting to get very scared because I can call it, I'm calling Engie's name. I don't hear any, I'm not hearing anything back. So I'm like, oh shit. And I'm lost. I'm off the trail. I know for a fact I'm off the trail. Um, I start walking about five minutes and then I look down and my leg is red. Oh shit. So I must have actually done something pretty bad to my leg. Excuse my language. Um, my, I look down again and, and like my pant leg is completely covered in red. I, I now was like, okay, I need to do something because I'm, I know, I know this. I know if I'm bleeding really badly, then I'm going to like bleed out. This was the first moment where I thought to myself, I might not make it out of this trip. Only because I had never had to treat myself out in the wilderness. I had never been in a situation like this in the whole time I was hiking um, or anything like that. And I, I just mentally wasn't really prepared for it. So then what I had to do was, well, I was like, I need to do something. Fortunately, I had my uh, first aid kit with me. So I did it my 10 essentials. Um, I sat down. I ripped open. Like I pulled my pants up and I noticed there's a puncture about half an inch in my leg. Um, and there's a piece of wood too, which I was able to pull out. So I had actually, when my leg had slammed into that tree branch, I had, I had a puncture wound on my leg. I'm like, Oh, sh I need to do something. So I sat down, I cleaned it up. I took out my first aid kit. A puncture wound from a, from a stick from the blowdown. Yes. Yeah. Puncture wound from the blowdown. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was like a half an inch. It was pretty, it was pretty deep. And it was maybe an inch wide. So I cleaned my leg, um, pulled out the straps. Actually, the next day in the hospital, they told me I did a good job uh, cleaning it. So I pulled out like disinfectant or, you know, anti antibacterial stuff and alcohol and scrubbed it. And then I had, uh, I had a fabric. I had like a bandana almost that I wrapped around my leg to kind of stop the bleeding. Um, and then I was completely distraught. Like I had to sit for like 20 minutes. 
I think I had lost a bunch of blood, not a huge amount, but enough that it set me off. And I was just sitting there, like I'm sitting on the trail. My pack is off. My my thing is rolled up on my leg. I've got this thing wrapped around it. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what the F did I get myself into? Um, and I'm lost now. And uh, so my headlamp worked, but then my cell phone died. <laughs> so. But you still have your in-range, right? I do have my in-reach, but I hadn't thought about it yet. Um, I hadn't thought about my in-reach yet, but I did have it, fortunately, and I was tracking. Yes, this, there's an important part to that story. So now I'm lost, and I'm trying to figure out, like, where I should go. And where I was, there's, like, marsh. There's, like, water around. And so the one thing I think that's really important is if you do get injured or you're in a bad place, you really need to slow down. Because that is where you're most likely to make the stupidest mistakes. Um, and one that I was almost going to do was go through the marsh. Because I was feeling frustrated. And I'm like, I think I need to get over there. Because I can kind of see with my headlamp. And I almost was ready. I was almost going to go into this marsh. And as a matter of fact, at one point, I started just crying. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, like, I might not make it home tonight. And like, I don't know where I am. I'm cold. Um, I don't have my cell phone. Um, and I'm injured. Um, so I almost went into this marsh thing. I think if I had done that, there's a good chance I would have drowned. I fortunately was like, don't do that. I was like, that does not look good. You don't know how deep it is. It's dark. There's nobody around. Probably not a good idea. And so at that moment, like I sat down completely distraught and then I was like, what can I do? I started to calm myself. I started to say, okay, if you don't calm down, you're not going to get out of this. You need to just like chill out. I did have an emergency blanket in my pack, but honestly, I was so like nervous and freaked out. I wasn't even thinking about that. In retrospect, like we weren't high up on the mountain. I probably could have just taken that sleeping blanket and just stayed there till the morning. There were no like real animals around, but I wasn't thinking like that. So I was like, I was like, wait a minute, I have my in reach with me. And with my in reach, I had tracking on. So I'm like, maybe that, maybe I can use that. So I, I pulled out, you know, I pulled my in reach off my pack because my phone was dead. And fortunately I have the, um, I have the full, in reach explorer which you can actually use as a you know you don't need a phone to be able to send messages and other things with that and i uh, pulled it off and, and you you were tracking from the very beginning right so like you were able to pull your in reach off um and you you were able to see your track from the parking lot so you could you could retrace your steps from looking at your in reach in theory yes um, the challenge was with the blowdowns. So it didn't turn out to be that easy. Um, it probably took me, but, but what the inReach did show me is, you know, which was the general direction of where I needed to go. And this, and, and even if I did run into like water or marsh, I could move around it to then find my way back. Um, just to give you an idea of time, like by this time, it was probably like 10 o'clock at night. Um, I found out later my wife had already been freaking out because within reach, the nice thing is my wife can track me and she saw that I was, you know, not anywhere close to back. 
And uh, it was already like 10 o'clock at night and she knew I had no intention of camping out that night. So she was worried about me. Um, and so um, finally though, I was able to, and I'm limping now too, I'm moving slower because I'm limping now because of the puncture wounds, even though I've stopped it from bleeding, which is good because I kind of like a hybrid tourniquet, the way I tied it around my leg to stop the bleeding. Um, but I limped back and then finally after, I don't know what felt like an hour or two, I was able to make it back onto the trail and I saw Engie and Engie was like crying. Um, Engie wasn't sure what to do, knew that I wasn't there. I think they were contemplating going back to try to find me at that point. Um, because they had realized after a while that I wasn't coming, but because they were in front of me already, I mean, they had waited some amount of time, I guess, before they finally realized like, okay, something's wrong. Glenn's not coming. So we finally found each other um, and sat down for a bit. Um, and she was very happy to see me. And then we stayed together from that point on. And so as we're walking back, I'm thinking about that log again. I'm like, I'm not out of this yet. I got across that log that I shimmied across. And I'm just really worried about it. Like every step I took closer to getting to that crossing, I was like, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. I don't want to cross this log again. Why do I have to cross this log again? And I was really tired and exhausted now. And just to give you an idea on time frame, like I was now out about 18 hours. Uh, in terms of how long it had been since we started from the trailhead. Um, and it's now 11, maybe 11.30 at night. Um, we, we first hit the forest around 8.30, just to give you an idea of time frame, like when we were coming down and we, we finally got to the, to the trees uh, where all the blowdowns began. So we get to the water thing. NG does their tightrope thing again and walks across. And like an idiot, I'm like, eh, I think I could do that too. I just want to get this over with. I'm just going to do that. So I didn't loosen my pack. I made it halfway tight roping across the log and grabbing onto like some trees. And then I fell. So I fell six feet into running water with my pack on. I had not loosened the straps because I didn't know that was a thing I should do. Um... And here I am. I'm very lucky I did not hit my head. So I'm in running water. It's rocks around. I'm in the water. And the first thought I had was, if you don't get out of this right now, you're going to drown. I was probably three quarters of the way, I guess, to the other side of, 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 the, of the tree. Um, and so... I just mustered in me all this strength. And I was like, you made it through so much. Like you, you need to just get out. You need to find a way to get out. And I just like, I kind of like went down in the water and then jumped up and was able to kind of grab the tree. And then NG was there and had their hand out. They were able to get me to, you know, get me out of the water. But that was absolutely terrifying. And I was just very, very lucky because I could have hit my head. I could have broken my neck. There's so many things that could have happened that fortunately did not. And I take it as a huge wake-up call. Um, 
And then we got out and we made it back. Um, it was about a half a mile from the trailhead. We walked together to the trailhead. Um, when I got back, Angie gave me a bunch of stuff and we checked the wound and everything else. Um, and just went to bed and went out. Wake up the next day and top of mind for me is I need to get to an emergency room so this thing doesn't get infected. Um, and I can have somebody look at it because I know I'm no doctor and I'm no expert with doing anything like this. And we're over a hundred miles from anything. I mean, the closest thing is like Lake Chelan, uh, you know, it's like the Lake Chelan area, which is over a hundred miles. And so I get up and clean myself up. I'm feeling okay. I, I, NG had given me some stuff and I was, I had some change of clothes. So I was able to change before I went to sleep and get warm and all of that stuff. And then I find out I have a flat tire. <laughs> so it just went from bad to worse. Oh my goodness. Are you I, kidding me? I'm not what kidding. You. I had a flat. I'm telling you, I, I say that like God was giving me all these reminders of, of <laughs> to make sure this never happens again. Um, so I got a flat tire. I had to change my tire, which is just the donut and the donut. You're not supposed to ride for more than a hundred miles. And I think it was 150 miles. Plus it was a Sunday and it was a holiday. I didn't think, I didn't know if I was even gonna be able to get a tire, but anyway, these are all little things compared to what I had just been through. So yeah, that was, um, that was just the icing on the cake compared to everything else. But very scary. And my biggest takeaway from the whole trip was like, Glenn, you need to slow down. You need to know who you're going with. You need to be realistic about what your abilities are. You need to communicate more up front if you're going to go with someone to make sure you're on the same page. Expectations wise, um, there were just so many things um, I learned. And also learned I just need to learn more so that if something happens and stuff can happen while you're out there, that uh, I'm going to be able to get myself home. I, mean, I was proud of myself that I managed to get out. Um, but I think in retrospect, there's a lot of things I would have done very differently. Um, first, back then, I probably shouldn't have just been on this trip, period. But if I did it now... Um, I would have had much better expectations, for, first of all, about the blowdowns. I would have had a lot more food and things to be ready for. Um, I would have known to plunge step. I would, have route, I would have scouted out the area and done more route finding to make sure that I had a safe place to cross. It turns out there was one about a quarter of a mile down the way. Found that out later. There's just a lot of groundwork I could have done and a lot of prep that would have just made this a better trip. Yeah. I mean, preparation, it goes a long way, you know, I mean, making sure your cell phone's charged, making sure you have adequate food and water, knowing the trail, having even a map and compass, a hard copy of a map and compass in case, you know, if, if a lot of people use Gaia on their phones to navigate, but if your phone dies, um, just having a, a hard copy of a map and compass can also really help. Or, you know, if, if you're, you know, maybe you lost your inReach or all kinds of things to be a little bit more prepared, but it sounds like you have a, you know, you took a lot of those lessons back. Yes. And I took the mountain. I signed up, for example, for the Mountaineers scrambling course and learned how to do route finding and navigation, like you said, and use, to, you know, read topo maps and make sure you have a physical map with you as a backup and all the things you said. So I guess my biggest 
thing of why I even wanted to get on the show, and thank you so much for having me on, was for people that are new, you know, I would love for people to be able to learn from my experience and not make my mistakes. Take it slow. Know what you're getting yourself into. Stuff can happen. I mean, it will. But a lot of what I went through could have been prevented if I had been realistic about my abilities, if I had been more communicative um, with my partner to set expectations, and if I had done more of my homework. And also, it, it, it is like the idea of like, if you don't have the skills, like I had zero nav skills then, you really are completely dependent on your partner if something goes wrong. And just making sure that, that those expectations are set very clearly from the get-go. And absolutely what you said about you know having the right food, um, having a battery pack if necessary, doing the prep. Because if you don't do the prep, the mountains can be very unforgiving. And I mean, there were other things like even my crampons, right? Like I'm winging it, thinking, YOLO, I'll just, I'll figure it out. But I could have gotten seriously hurt right there going up that head wall. Um, so yeah, a lot of mistakes, a lot of things I don't do now. And I'm very fortunate in some ways that it all got packed into one trip because I got to learn a lot of lessons in one trip. Um, but yeah, um, and I guess the other thing, and hopefully you and Angie will get a chance to talk about this is we had a lot, we had a really good conversation. That was another reason why I wanted to come on the show is we, we had a really good conversation afterwards where we talked about, you know, what went well and what went wrong, kind of a retrospective. And I think there were a lot of mistakes on NG's side as well. Um, and realizations around, hey, if I'm going to take somebody, what are those responsibilities that I'm taking on? What are the things I have to make sure mm -hmm. that I'm assessing, that I'm thinking about? Um, so that was another part, another big part of the lesson is when you lead someone. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you don't think you're leading them, you may be leading them just because yeah. of the difference of experience that you right. have. Well, and hopefully, you know, we could we could uh, all three get on this uh, call today, but hopefully in the next few weeks when Angie gets back from her climbing trips, hopefully I'll be able to get an interview with her and then she could be the next episode and she could share her perspective, which would, which would be pretty fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I give Angie a lot of credit that, you know, they were really open and owning, you know, the, the things, the mistakes they made and could have done differently. And we still talk, we still communicate. And that's so important too, is just having that open dialogue, you know, having that open feedback and communication with your partner, like, hey, I made this mistake or, hey, these were my learnings. And just having a really nice debrief at the end um, of really any trip, even if things, even if everything went right, to still debrief what went right. And then when things went wrong, to debrief what went wrong. A, a debriefing is so important. So I'm really glad that you that you were able to share that space with each other. Uh, yeah, it was it was really important and and really helpful um, for both of us. Um, and we did go on some other things together after that oval experience as well. So, did you uh, attempt Mount Oval again after this? I have not done Oval Peak. Um, I just did do um, Ruby recently. 
which is a long one, um, 17 miles uh, on the on the summer route, 17 miles and 6,500 gains, so a lot more than oval. Um, and we had 2,000 feet of blowdowns. So in my Strava, I said, you know, Ruby <laughs> or how I learned not to fear blowdowns. Um, but they were dry. So that made it much, much easier. But the other thing is once you've had an experience, you're more comfortable with it. So I think even if they had been wet, like my partner that I went with on Ruby was like, hey, when you were doing those wet blowdowns, you know, you should have worn spikes. I didn't even know that, you know, that spikes actually will help you if you wear spikes when you're on wet blowdowns because it will add more traction. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I wish I knew that. Spikes like uh, yak packs? Yeah, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Cthulhu's. Not crampons, just, just putting spikes on um, mm-hmm. to help give some extra traction. I think you, when you go into the mountains, you do have to go with a growth mindset. Mistakes are going to happen. Um, I actually summited Baker a month after this and almost pulled out of my Baker. That was a six-day mountaineering course with Alpine Ascents. And NG really encouraged me to not do that and said, actually, what you just did is going to be harder than Baker. Um, but I think, you know, not beating yourself up too much and just taking in those learnings has been really, really helpful to me. So that's what I would advise. Like, even though I'm saying, like, learn from me, some people are going to make the same mistakes I made. Um, if you get to live another day, that's an opportunity to learn from that and move forward. Um and don't beat yourself up about it because that's not gonna that's not gonna help you. What's gonna help you is is learning, and, mm. and applying those learnings, um, 100%. and 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 continually keeping that mindset. I continually make mistakes. Hopefully not as big. I've never made anything mm. as big as those. Um, so you can learn and then slow down. Don't be in a rush. And it's hard because you see other people doing so many things, and you just may not be there that at that level you might be there one day but you're not there yet right it's nothing wrong with slowing down and taking your time and i guess the last thing summit is always optional there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with turning Mm -hmm. back (laughs) the most important thing is to come back have a great experience and live another day thank you so much to glenn for sharing his personal story and all of the valuable lessons he learned along the way. Stay tuned until the next episode on September 1st to hear Engie's perspective of the story and her learnings. Thank you to the amazing sponsors of this podcast, Rocky Talkie, Arcteryx, and the American Alpine Club. Show your support by donating on PayPal or becoming a Patreon member. This podcast doesn't support itself, and I am one person producing this show for you. Did you know that the American Alpine Club has their own podcast? You can now take a deep dive into your favorite American Alpine Club content via your headphones and car stereo. The drive to work or your favorite hangboard routine just got way more interesting. Find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.